0: Psalm 123, and this is the fourth of 15 different Psalms of Ascent, or in the King James it says Song of Degrees. So uh, the fourth of 15 different songs that God's people would sing together as they journey together from all over Israel up to Jerusalem to worship the Lord together. And um, there's been some progression, Psalm 120. The first one there was lament expressed about God's people's surroundings. They talked about how frustrating it was to be in a, a world where people didn't think like you all the time and they didn't have the same values and how they look forward to these pilgrimages to Jerusalem, where they'd be around God's people. And then in Psalm 121, they they lifted up their eyes to the hills of Jerusalem, where the temple was, where that place was symbolic of God's presence. Then in Psalm 122, last week we saw them arrive and, and delight in being in the house of the Lord together. And now this week in Psalm 123, God's people, they look above the hills of Jerusalem. They look to the Lord of those hills, the Lord who dwells in the heavens. Uh, Sunday night we were, I was locking up and stuff and I heard choir practicing after wanna heard choir practicing, God of heaven. Uh, one of my favorite songs. I kind of told Tommy I was a little frustrated that I will be gone while you're all singing that. Okay, good. All right. Well, that's good. I love that song. It's a powerful song. It reminds us where our God is. Let's see what God has for us in this passage tonight. Let's read it. Psalm 123. Unto thee lift I up mine eyes, O thou that dwellest in the heavens. Behold, as the eyes of servants look unto the hand of their masters. And as the eyes of a maiden unto the hand of her mistress, so our eyes wait upon the Lord our God until that he have mercy upon us. Have mercy upon us, O Lord, have mercy upon us, for we are exceedingly filled with contempt. Our soul is exceedingly filled with the scorning of those that are at ease and with the contempt of the proud. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this uh, short little four-verse song, but boy, there's a lot in it. Uh, a good reminder of where we are to go for help and, um, God, how we're to run to you when we're in need and and how great uh, your help is for us. That um, That's why we should be running to you because you can handle anything that we might be facing. And, um, Lord, I pray that we be taught that. We've been taught that so many times in the Psalms, but we need reminders, and I thank you for this one we've got right here. Reveal to us the truth in your word tonight, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. So the first thing mentioned there is the direction of uh, help. And and like I just (laughs) said in my prayer, after, after studying 122 different Psalms, I hope that we have got this down by now, Psalms that often teach us this when we're in need, going to the Lord in prayer, that should be our first response, not our last resort. Have we been taught that in various Psalms? Yeah, a bunch of them. And we probably need so many reminders because we so frequently are tempted to try to handle things on our own. Maybe even thinking that God isn't there or that God doesn't care or or that maybe this problem is not big enough to bother God with. But how does verse 1 begin this song on God's road trip playlist? It says, unto thee lift I up mine eyes. So David's looking to God. In these verses, he's praying to God right in the first verse, right off the bat, before even describing later on what his need is. He's going to the Lord right away. And so we know he's taking it to the Lord in prayer. He's not attempting to address the situation on his own or manipulate it or go it alone. It says, unto thee lift I up mine eyes. As I mentioned in the introduction two Psalms ago in Psalm 121, God's people, they lifted their eyes up to the hills. To Jerusalem, to the city of God where the tabernacle or the temple, the house of God, it was on the highest hill. And they had just begun their journey from villages all over Israel. And maybe faintly seeing the city of God, the closer they get, they, they see it and it comes clear and clear. The city of God, the temple of God in the distance that reminded them of God's presence. But now they're here. That's what Psalm 122 says. Verse 2 said, Our feet shall stand, or our feet are standing within thy gates, O Jerusalem. So they no longer need to lift up their eyes to the hills. They're they're there at those hills. They're on those hills. They're at the temple where God's presence dwelt in the Holy of Holies. Now, now they can look directly to the Lord. A sense of his presence even greater to them now that they are at the place of God's presence. Even greater now that they're all. Uh, with all of god's people together and, and notice how god has david described this one to who david is lifting up his eyes oh thou that dwellest in the heavens now the presence of god did dwell in the tabernacle in the temple in the holy of holies over the ark of the covenant it dwelt there for a time but is god is god constrained to that place no not even back then um in 2 Samuel 7, we, we learn God definitely is not. In that passage, in 2 Samuel 7, David is living in the palace. I think a couple of Sunday nights ago, we were talking about when he became king, and, and Tyre and Sidon, and all these uh, foreign nations came, and they built him a nice palace with cedars and very luxurious, and David's there. And it strikes the king, while he's living in a luxurious palace, God is still dwelling in the tabernacle its in the tent that Moses had God's people construct during the Exodus. And so with a right heart and this desire to worship God and honor God, David tells the prophet Nathan that he wants to build God a permanent house, a permanent dwelling place instead of that tent-like tabernacle. And what does God tell Nathan to tell David as a reply? God says in 2 Samuel 7, 5, and 6, Are you the one to build me a house to dwell in? David, I have not dwelt in a house from the day that I brought the Israelites up out of Egypt to this day. I've been moving from place to place with a tent as my dwelling. Did I ever say to any of the rulers of the Israelites, why have you not built me a house of cedar? That's what God told Nathan to tell David. And instead, God tells David that he'll build him a house, not a palace. He already had when he's talking about it's a Davidic covenant. That he would always have a descendant on the throne. And that was fulfilled in in Jesus Christ uh, forever. And, And from our study in Acts on Sunday mornings. Do you remember when the Apostle Paul, he went to the city of Athens. And he told the people of Athens there as he preached the gospel to them. It was a city full of idols, full of temples. He even had an idol to an unknown God. Make sure they covered all of their bases. And in Acts 17, 24, Paul said this. The God who made this world and everything in it is a Lord of heaven and earth, and he does not live in temples built by human hands. The first deacon, first Christian martyr Stephen, in the message that he preached to the Sanhedrin right before they stoned him, he said this in Acts 7:48: the Most High does not live in houses made by human hands. As the prophet says, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Nathan quoting Isaiah 66, 1 and 2 there. Uh, heaven is God's throne and the earth as his footstool. So here in verse 1, David looks to the Lord in prayer to meet his need. And by testimony and by example, he's teaching us to do the same. We need to go to the Lord in prayer to meet our needs. We need to go to the one. We need to look to the one and pray to the one who dwells in the heavens. Do you look up to the heavens? Do you do that from time to time? I know some of you do because I see pictures on social media. Like Mary Bell's one for that. She's posting pictures in the backyard. I'm assuming maybe it's Scott, right? No, it's Mary. All right, the beautiful sky with, with uh, you know it's dark out there in that corner of Cape Owen Manor. You can see all the, all the beautiful stars, and it is amazing. It's good for us to do that often. I mean, with all the problems we all encounter here on this earth, with all the needs we have, it's very beneficial for you and I to look beyond this terrestrial earth where we are and where we're constrained and to be looking up to the heavens where God dwells and where He's not constrained, where He rules. Because, man, that can give us a different perspective in the middle of our problems, can it? That's why I love being, what I love about being out in nature. Christian author Anne Voskamp she once wrote, if the heavens declare, get out there. And what God tells us in Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God. Are we listening? Are we going to hear what they say? Well Look up to the direction of our help. It is a perspective changing thing to do so. Our problems become so minuscule. (laughs) Even sometimes the greatest ones we think we're going through. They become so minuscule in scale with the grandeur of the creation from our almighty creator. We're reminded uh, that the one who creates and who sustains everything that surrounds us. He's more than competent to handle whatever we're going through right now. Uh, I'm looking forward to going to the mountains here in a few days on vacation, taking some time to consider him that dwells in the heavens. But you don't have to do that. You don't have to wait for that or drive so far. I mean, honestly, if we would just take the time and pause and slow down for a moment and take notice, we got plenty of reminders right here of, of our powerful God, our creator in, in beautiful Bladen County, don't we? Next, David expresses a depth of help. Verse 2, it begins with a behold. Whenever you see that in God's word, that's an exclamatory word. Hey, pay attention to what's about to be said. Verse 2, behold, as the eyes of servants look unto the hand of their masters and the eyes of a maiden unto the hand of her mistress, so our eyes wait upon the Lord our God until that he have mercy on us. So David gives us a little object lesson here about the depth of God's help to us. None of us, none of us in this room have ever been slaves. I don't think anybody's been a servant. I mean, you might have waited tables. I worked Dairy Queen. I felt like a servant sometimes there, right? Food service or maybe one of your first-time jobs. But um, most of us, we've been employed. We've had a boss not exactly the same parallel as what is being talked about here see in this culture at this time everything everything that a servant needed everything came to them from the hand of their master Um, we picture slavery like what went on down here in the 1800s or things like that what we might see on tv Uh, that's not the situation here slave servants very well taken care of Uh, in Israel in biblical times they had a place to live they had food to eat Uh, everything they might have needed the hand of their master provided we sing a song like that don't we all I have needed his hand has provided Uh, and they need not look elsewhere their eyes look to him or, or her and David says that's exactly how our eyes should be fixated on our master so our eyes wait. In the same way. So our eyes wait upon the Lord our God. And tell that he has mercy on us. What does David say in Psalm 27? Some trust in chariots. Some in horses. Not us. We'll remember the name of the Lord our God. Uh, he's got everything we need. That's the depth of our help. We shouldn't look elsewhere. Because all that we need is provided by him. All that we need That's the depth of our help. And I want you to notice uh, one more important word in this phrase and in this commitment from David here. He says, so our eyes wait upon the Lord our God until, until he have mercy on us. Until. Now let me ask you this. Sometimes do you give up too soon when it comes to faith? Does your faith got a time limit? How often have we missed out on God's blessings? Because while we may have believed, I mean, we know what this book says and in our heart, we may have believed in the depth of God's help. We just weren't so sure about the duration that we had to wait for that help. I think we all struggle with it. I mean, it even happened to the heroes of the faith and the Bible in God's word. So I imagine we're tempted the same way. I know I am. Uh, here's one instance. When the timing of God's promise to Abraham... To have a son. When the timing of that got a little long, what did he and Sarah do? They tried to help God out. Sarah said, why don't you try having a son with my my servant Hagar? And then how did that go? Well, we got Ishmael. And 5,000 years later, we still got problems over in the Middle East because somebody tried to help God out and didn't wait for his timing. Satan even tempted Jesus this way. With impatience, with not waiting on God's time. He took Jesus up to a mountain, showed him all of the kingdoms of the world. Matthew 4, 8, and 9 says that Satan told Jesus, All of this I'm going to give to you if you bow down and worship me. Now think about this. Would there be a day, will there be a day when all those kingdoms of the world will belong to Jesus Christ? Yeah, 100%. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. So, so the temptation there was not something bad necessarily. Satan wasn't tempting Jesus with something sinful. God had promised this to Jesus already. The temptation, the the sin, was in going outside of God's timing here. It was not time for Jesus to have that yet. Not without a cross. Not without an empty tomb. So our eyes wait upon the Lord our God until that he have mercy on us. Let me just give you one modern day example. All right, here's just one, but it's so clear. Um, Sex outside of marriage uh, outside of God's design outside of the marriage covenant i mean sex is not sinful god created it and like everything he created it is good but outside of god's place and god's timing for it it's sin and in so many other areas of our life there's there's so many other things good things non-sinful things but when we take them outside of god's timing they can become sinful. They can become destructive. But what does that old hymn say? Trusting Jesus. Simply trusting every day. Trusting through life's stormy way. Even when my faith is small. Trusting Jesus, that is all. Trusting as the days go by. And another day, and another day. Trusting as the moments fly. Trusting him whatever befall. Trusting Jesus, that is all. That is all. That is what Christianity is. Trusting Jesus and not according to our timeline, according to his. So church, may our eyes wait upon the Lord our God until that he have mercy on us, just as it says there uh, in verse 2. Being faithful even when his timing is not ours. Let's look at the desire for help, verses 3 and 4. These last two verses have David expressing God's people's desire for help. And here's their prayer, have mercy on us. O Lord, have mercy on us. And so if you grab the mercy from the end of verse two, you've got three times in a One short little psalm, three times in two verses, where mercy is requested in prayer from the Lord. And this is not the mercy that we find in a lot of different places in the psalms. Uh, Usually in the King James, it's translated mercy. Some modern versions will say loving kindness or something like that. That's chesed, that's the covenant Lord, love of God to us in Jesus. This word that's translated mercy here is, is Hebrew, it's kanan. And it means, God, show me favor. God, be gracious to me. Now, sometimes we like to define um, mercy as God not giving you and I what we deserve. And that's true. And grace as God giving us what we do not deserve. And that's true. Um, And I think that would fit here. Now uh, hear the plea of God's people. Their desire for help is God be merciful. God be full of mercy to us. God be gracious. God show us favor by not giving us what we deserve and by giving us what we do not deserve. And we're told why. Why is it that they have this desire? Why are they crying out to God in prayer for help here? For we are exceedingly filled with contempt. And then verse 4, our soul, again, our soul is exceedingly filled with a scorning of those that are at ease and with the contempt of the proud. So here's a common problem to mankind, and it's common in the book of Psalms, uh, a reason for many of the laments that we find in God's hymnal here. Here, here's the situation. God's people are doing their best to honor God, to worship God, to live according to his word, live according to his will for their lives. And sometimes life doesn't go so well for them. But at the same time, the ungodly, those people who are not God's people, those people who don't even care about God's word or God's will for their lives, they seem to be having a life of ease. Life seems to be going pretty good for them. And, and then according to these verses, to even top that off, then they start mocking us. They start scorning us, they start showing contempt, a good, making a good deal of fun about us for the way we think and the way we live as followers of Jesus. Isn't that frustrating sometimes? Yeah. Let's go to Psalm 73. All right, let's go back there. This, I don't know, it's probably been months since we were there. But this is like, this is the one psalm where Asaph really lays it out. It's mentioned in a number of different psalms, but here in Psalm 73, and I'm going to quickly read through these verses just so you, you get a, a sense. This is the same thing that's being said in verses 3 and 4 of Psalm 123, but beginning in verse 1 of Psalm 73, it's a wild that starts out this way. Truly God is good to Israel, even to such as are of a clean heart. But then he talks about how God, it doesn't seem like God is so good. Verse 2, but as for me, my feet were almost gone. My steps had well nigh slipped, for I was envious of the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For there are no bands in their death, but their strength is firm. They're not in trouble as other men. Neither are they plagued like other men. Therefore, pride compasses them about as a chain. Violence covers them as a garment. Their eyes stand out with fatness. They have more than their heart could wish. They're corrupt and they speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily. Drop down to verse 12. Behold, these are the ungodly. They prosper in this world. And they increase in riches. And when he's focused on that, look what happens in verse 13. This is where our thought process starts going. Verily I have cleansed my heart in vain and I've washed my hands in innocence. I'm living this life for Jesus. I'm living differently and I'm going through all these problems and there's a wicked person out there that's living for this world and doesn't care a thing about Christ and they're prospering and they're increasing in riches and I've done it and I've I've made a mistake. Because for all day long, verse 14, I have been plagued and chastened every morning. Now he knows this ain't the right way to think. Look what he says in verse 15. If I say I will speak thus, behold, I should offend against the generation of thy children. Well, too late. You already did. Right, we're reading what he said. But we understand because we feel this way too sometimes. We might not want to admit it, but we do. And he knows it's wrong. And we know it's wrong. If we're truly saved with the Holy Spirit in us, we know that this way of thinking is not correct. As he says, verse 16, when I thought to know this, it was too painful for me. This seems like an inconsistency, and that's what a lament is. When what we know to be true about God is not meeting up with our current life experience. When did things change? Verse 17, until I went to the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their end. Surely thou didst set them in a slippery place. Thou castest them down in destruction. How they're brought into desolation as in a moment. They're utterly consumed with tears. As a dream when one awaketh. So, O Lord, when thou awakest, thou shalt despise their image. And thus my heart was grieved. And I was pricked in my reins. Because I understood that I was my thinking was all goofed up. So foolish was I. I was ignorant. I was like a beast before you, God. Thinking this way before Drop down to verse 25. Now he's got his mind right. Whom have I in heaven but thee? There's nothing on earth I desire but thee. Well, that wasn't true about 15 verses ago, but now he's got his mind right. My flesh may fail, my heart may fail. I might continue to have really rough times, but God is the strength of my heart. He's my portion forever. I've got the Lord, and if I got Him, I got more than anything, more than anything I'll ever need or or, or want. So have you ever felt like this? Have you ever felt like Asaph is describing here like David is back in Psalm 123? And that's why God gives us. That's why God gives us Psalm 123 and why he gave us Psalm 73 so we can learn from them, so we can get our mind right about what's the real deal, what's truly um, to be valued because we all face this. We face contempt sometimes from this world for the choices we make and and, and living differently as a Christian. We might face their scorn and their mocking. And and there are times when it can just roll off our back and not really bother us at all. But there's other times when we face the mocking and scorning of this world for following Jesus that like David and like Asaph, we can begin to wonder if we were, did we make the right choice? Maybe we should just do what they're doing and just give up on this whole following Jesus thing back off on our faithfulness to the Lord the scorning that we can face from them sometimes it can strike to like places in our heart hidden insecurities we didn't even know we had and in those moments only the mercy of God can help us that's why I plead plead for it three times here have mercy on us God have mercy on us only that can defend us and keep us going in faithfulness to the Lord. In Psalm 73, 16 and 17, the distress, uh, contempt of the world was causing, it was painful to Asaph until he went to the sanctuary of God. It was when he went to God's house that he was reminded, hey, I'm on the right way. The seeming prosperity of the wicked, it's only temporal. And um, it'll be worth it all in eternity. His whole perspective changed. I guess we could say at church. His whole perspective changed there. Being with God's people. Maybe it was the songs. Maybe it was the sermon that are a part of worship. It reoriented his mind. We saw a major change there in Psalm 73. It recalibrated his value system to be aligned with God's and not this world's. And I sure pray that's what has happened here tonight as we studied this song together. That's God's intent every time we assemble together as his people for worship. We give him glory and we get the good of being encouraged that hey, we're on the right way. We come here together and we lift up our eyes together, our faith being strengthened by looking up to somebody who is so much bigger than any problems we might be facing. And we come here and worship together and we're encouraged. Hopefully we're encouraging each other to keep our eyes looking to the hand of our master for all of our needs and to keep looking until he has mercy on us, never veering off course, not trying to fill our own needs outside of his timing. And we come here together to be a part of this gift that is uh, from God where we assemble for worship. We come here together to be reminded of the right way and informed when we might be off the right way and then instructed how to get back on the right way and how to stay put, something each one of us desperately needs in a world that shows the Jesus follower scorn and contempt. So let's commit to this being our our consistent practice as Christians, always looking only to the Lord, to him who dwells in the heavens, you and I always patiently waiting on the one who always comes through when it's most glorifying to him and when it's best for us. Tommy, praise team. Will you come and lead us?